The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell. Welcome to 1874, the Athletics podcast all about Aston Villa Football Club. And I'm joined as ever by the Athletics Aston Villa correspondent, Greg Evans. We've had global Greg. Last week, I think we had grumpy Greg. This week, maybe a galvanised Greg. <laughs> I like that, Dan. Um, yeah, I've had a week, kind of, I've got used to what your life's a little bit like this week. I've had Too um, many podcasts. Yeah, this is the third, third morning in a row that I'm doing a podcast, so... Yeah, I, I know how difficult it has been, uh, been such a brand bother. Yeah, I mean, you don't mind doing podcasts, though. You're obviously more in demand because Manchester United nil, Aston Villa won, Greg. Well, yeah, look, I mean, I'm under no illusions as to why people want to speak to me. It is pretty much all about that. Um, it's just the second win in 46 attempts, I think, against Man United yeah. for Aston Villa. So, uh, look, an, an incredible day, incredible performance, um, and it just shows how how much Villa are progressing now. Yeah, do you think that was the best away win under Dean Smith? Oh, good question. Or even the best, best. I suppose the Liverpool seven two, but I think that was one. That was one of the best results, wasn't it? I, I can't think of a better away win for Dean Smith, Aston Villa. Yeah, well, we had this discussion um, in the press box amongst some of the reporters, you know, who cover the club regular. Um, the, the suggestion was put to me again. What what you've just said, you know, that that's Dean Smith's best ever result. Um, I think because of the magnitude of it. The fact that United are going for the title this season, they've started the season quite well. Ronaldo Mania is still in full force. Villa typically go to Old Trafford and lose. Um, if you combine all of that together, then probably is, isn't it? Is it, is it? is it his biggest achievement? I don't think so, because I think getting Villa up and keeping Villa up was a bigger achievement than just going and winning one single game against Man United at Old Trafford. But if you're just taking them on results alone, individual standalone games yeah I do think it is I think it is the most impressive um, uh, result and, and, and what's even more impressive now is that under Dean Smith's reign Villa have beaten pretty much every team now except for um, Man City certainly the elite teams anyway yeah but that's coming that, that's coming in November at, at Villa Park do you remember when we were doing podcasts saying that Villa, just, Villa can't beat teams in the top six <laughs> they mad, just can't do it, it. How quickly it's turned around, yeah. I mean, I do remember that, yeah. I remember at the back end of the um, survival season, uh, and we were saying, I remember I, me, I, I wrote it at some point saying the only way Villa will stay up is if they beat one of the elite teams, you know, so called elite teams. And, and, and it was Arsenal, wasn't it? Villa went and beat Arsenal quite comfortably that day um, and, and then went and stayed up. From there, they've gone on and beat plenty of others too Arsenal again, Tottenham, Chelsea, Liverpool, and now Man United. Great times, as I say. That those those days don't feel that long ago. Obviously, you know, everyone's still, I'm still I'm still working from home in general. You know, that was when we we were working from home and doing podcasts from home. Still, we used to do them in person, and we're still doing that now. So that wasn't that long ago. So it does show you the, the big turnaround in the mentality at Villa and the way they're going. You know, you talk about Arsenal being an, an elite team. Villa got more points than Arsenal at, at the moment. I'd say Villa are just as likely to finish in the top six as Arsenal. And he talks about Manchester United being title contenders. Well, watching them on, on Saturday, yeah, Villa were the team with more cohesion, more clue of what to do. It looked like they'd worked on a plan in, in, in the week, whereas Manchester United didn't. Yeah, Villa, you might as well call Villa title contenders if you're going to call those two teams title contenders. 
Um, well, I just think purely, you know, based on history and based on squad strength. Um, you know, if, if you look at if you look at Manchester United, they're in a better position than Villa, aren't they? You can't just take them on individual games uh, and and uh, periods of, of 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 seasons. You know, look, we need to see more of Villa to to know where they're at, don't we? It was a little bit tongue in cheek, Greg. You took it very seriously. You can't take away that was a, it was a dominating not a dominating performance because Manchester United if you look at the statistics probably had more more of the chances and more of the ball but Villa carried the bigger threat I think Dean Smith said after the game Manchester United had more chances but we had the better chances Villa really should have been ahead I think before the 88th minute horse header uh, yeah yeah I'd go along with that I think Villa had the better chances um, I think Man United were very wasteful in possession yeah, Greenwood had a Greenwood had a lot of the ball but just took too long on it for a lot of the time decision making was really poor from Greenwood. yeah Fernandez couldn't really get into the game Ronaldo was anonymous um, uh, Pogba few too many bad decisions at times and it just felt like they were really struggling to, to create clear cut opportunities and, and a lot of that is down to Villa's defence you know and how strong they are how they're managing to keep um, opponents at bay now I wrote something today about the the uh, formation and, and how it's working so well, the three five two, um, and how actually when Matt Cash got to the byline and, and crossed for for Matt Target, who somehow missed. I've still I've watched that that chance back about a hundred, well, about twenty times, and I still can't believe how he's missed. He's two yards out with an open goal. Uh, yeah, Wambasaka's coming back and, and trying to put him off. But he's two yards out in front of an open goal. It's just it's it's an unbelievable miss. Um, but that that move is something that Dean Smith has been working on for a long time now, and I've gone really into detail with in in the article today, um, which, which you can have a read of, uh, and, and just show why and how Villa have been working on that move for so long. And it was just so unfortunate that something like that didn't have a finishing touch because it, it was almost the ultimate um, satisfaction for Dean Smith. Yeah, Bernardo Silva did a decent Matty Target impression last night. I think he's he's missing the Champions League was probably just about worse than May targets but you're right it was a free-flowing move and I haven't read the piece because it's very early in in the morning here so I haven't logged on to Athletic this morning to have a look at what's around I don't know whether you go into this or, or not in the piece and you might not want to but did you talk about whether the three at the back has been something that was planned for a long time whether because we didn't start the season that way did we obviously we signed two and Zaber and we, we were reversed three at the back against Chelsea and that kind of set the template for the rest of the season but do you go into that kind of detail? Yeah, 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 all in there. I mean, you think think what you got to remember is the reason Villa didn't go with the three at the back was because Ollie Watkins wasn't fit, and you know the, the the part of the reason of having that formation is to get the two strikers on, um, at least for these early stages of the season. It'll be really interesting to see what happens next because I asked Dean specifically about whether Ings and Watkins will continue as a two. Um, you know whether they're the first names on the on the on the team sheet, so to speak, whether you know that that is the thinking all the time, um, because for me, out of everything, the, the relationship between the two is something that's still working. Mm. That, that's something that they're still working on. It's not quite there yet for me. Um, I think the defence looks looks excellent. The midfield does a lovely balance. The wing backs are working really well. But for me, that the, the forward two just haven't quite clicked yet. Um, don't get me wrong, I, I don't think they're terrible. I, I think they're working really hard uh, for the team. And clearly Watkins is getting his chances. He's, he's had 10 opportunities now and hasn't scored. Ings 
statistics were a little bit more favourable. He scored two and set up two. I just think as a partnership, we're not quite seeing it yet. Um, now, in one way, that, that's quite frightening for, for Villa because if they do click uh, and the midfield and the defence stays um, as good and positive as it is at the moment, you know how how genuinely how good could Villa be? Because that would be a whole team, you know, working in tandem and and, and in good form. So it's quite it's quite scary really to think how far they could go. But um, yeah, the the reason for the three five two, although Dean Smith still doesn't say it, is that they want to get the two strikers in there because it's difficult, isn't it? You got Ollie Watkins who. Um, was the most important player last season and Danny Ings who you don't sign to be on the bench put on the bench so he's trying to get them both minutes clearly I mean Ings hasn't really had a shot across the last three games that, that I can remember since the two of them have been paired together I can remember one shot against Everton and a nice little volley on his on his right foot but other than that I can't remember him having any shots or chances across the three games you're right Watkins has had had some big chances in the Chelsea game and had, had, had some decent chances as well against Manchester United. But again, you're right that you know Villa have, win, Villa have won two in a row. They've scored four goals without either of them scoring. I, I look at that as, as being a positive because they're, they're too good not to start firing. I, I think they will link up. I mean, we haven't seen much link up play between, between the two either. And I think that's what Danny Ings is, is very good at. So like you say, when they do get going, Villa are going to be a real, real force. 100%, yeah. And, and you just wonder... Perhaps one of them might be pulled out and, and replaced by Buendia. Um, you might get a little bit more creativity in there. Um, you know, with, with Buendia perhaps setting up Watkins or, or Buendia playing in Ings, vice versa. And then you've got Leon Bailey when he comes back. Um, you know, the, the same could be said for him. He could, he could just be played off one of the strikers too. There's plenty of options there. And, and somebody we just mention every week and never seems to get too much of a look in now is, is Bertrand Traore. I, I do believe he's a player that can make a real difference in games for Villa still. Yeah, El Ghazi, who was a, a starter, has been sat on the bench, not coming on in the last few weeks as well. So Villa's depth's definitely there. If, like me, you haven't read that piece from Greg about Villa's tactical setup, then The Athletic are offering a 33% discount to new subscribers at the moment. To sign up to that offer, just head to theathletic.com slash villapod and you will get a third off your new subscription. Someone else you've been writing about, Greg, the match winner, Courtney Hawes. Talk to me. <laughs> Just really genuinely pleased for him. Um, you know, he, he, very quiet guy, keeps himself to himself. Um, but when he needs to be heard, he, he certainly is. And I quite I liked his interview after the game. He said, I'm not here just to be waiting for my opportunity. I'm, I'm here to, to be playing football games. And I think he'll probably have to have a hard look at, a look at himself at the end of this season if, if he's not playing regular and say, do I stay here and be the fourth or perhaps even fifth choice centre-back, you know, depending on what Villa do next season. Um, or do I need to go somewhere and play regular games? Because for me, he's too good to be uh, to be sitting on the bench. In in the last two weeks, he, he's kept Lukaku quiet at Chelsea in the last 15 minutes um, and, uh, and managed to nullify the threat of Ronaldo. So it doesn't get any harder than that. And he's showing that whenever he's called upon... He can he can fill in for Villa. Well, not not even fill in. That's the wrong word. He he can come in and 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 do a job. And I think the greatest compliment you can pay Villa's backline at the moment is if you withdraw Twanzebi or Hawes, it's not weakened because they're they're like for like replacements. What we don't know yet is if Conzo or Mings doesn't play, 
um, you know, how that would affect Villa's backline, whether it will crumble or not. Um, I, I firmly believe it won't because I think there's there's three real good centre halves there. But yeah, for Hawes, it was a a nice moment for him to go and get that goal. Um, interesting, really, because back in January when he was in good form, um, he, he wasn't in the team for the, for the game against Man United when they lost at Old Trafford um, last season. But he actually got injured in the in the warm down on the pitch. Um, and, and was out for I think five or six weeks after that so it was a real setback for him but then to come to the ground that he did that you know, frustrating injury on and, and go and become the match winner was a real nice fitting moment <laughs> and obviously you know I thought I thought it was going to end in disaster for him with the handball but as we know Bruno blazed over from the bar yeah we'll, we'll come on to the penalty but you're, you're right horse has been great across the last two games probably over the last 12 months whenever he's coming He's been great. He's, he's, he's never let Villa, gain, Villa down. The only game I remember him being a little bit iffy Palace. is Selhurst Park when, yeah, when Mings was yeah, out yeah. and you were thinking, oh God, we really miss Tyrone Mings there. But every other time he's come in, he's done a really astute job for us. He probably keeps his place now, I would say. He, got, I mean, he, he couldn't have done much more. But you, you imagine he would be in the team on Sunday. Yeah, I think so. Look, I think if he doesn't keep his place, it's really unfortunate because, he, I mean, what does that say to the to the younger players, to the fringe players, that if they come in and they have, they have two really good games? Because for me, he was man of the match at Chelsea um, and he was one of the better performers at Man United as well. So if you come in and you have two really dominant games like that and then you lose your place, I just think it's 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 so unfair in it. And 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 those type of things can can affect morale because and certainly for Hawes, he he will be thinking what what more can I do? Um yeah, Twanzebi was signed obviously to play games, so it'd be difficult for him because you know he's come in and shown what a quality player he is as well. Um but I just I do think Hawes will get the will get the the nod over him. Um, and he deserves it, doesn't he? You know, I, mean, I don't know what you think, Dan, Definitely. but I, I certainly think he's he got does. To, he's got to play. 100% got to be in that team on Sunday. He, he deserves it. What's the, what's his contract situation? Cause a few people, I've seen a few people say he's out of contract at the end of the season. I've seen a few people say there's a year's option as yeah, well yeah. for Villa. That's not something to worry about, is it? No, no, no. So he's got he's he's out of contract officially at the end of the year, but it's one of those ones that the club will ninety five percent chance of of them taking it up because look, he was signed for three million pounds. Um, he's worth more than that now. He's still only twenty six years old. He's got a lot of years of football ahead of him, and he's probably coming into his best years. Um, you know, we never know, we don't know what's going to happen throughout the course of the season, but I'm sure there'll be a club out there. That will want to take Courtney Hawes for 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 you know a, a double figure fee probably. So Villa will look at that, knowing that they'll probably protect the asset by um, extending his deal. But they might even give him a longer deal because if if he, if he continues playing in the way he does, then he's going to be a player that they want to keep at the club. It's another example of Dean Smith developing, maturing, making a player better, isn't it, Greg? And there's just so many examples throughout the football club. Of that, yeah, it's just it's just amazing. I, f- I find it amazing. Yeah, it's it's one of the key, it's one of the standout examples for me. Um, you know that there are there are obviously players that have come and gone who who he hasn't been able to make any better. Um, you know some some of the signings under the old sporting director Suso uh, did didn't quite work out. But yeah, I mean, if you look, I think, I think a lot of it's down to the players themselves. You know, they've, they've got to be they've got to be willing to listen. Um, and work hard themselves to to get better because it's only really it's only themselves that can do it. You know, there's so much that goes into a player's development, but 
the role that Dean Smith and his coaching staff have is important as well. You know, there, there was an interview that, that Dean Smith did with uh, with Graham Hunter, and and he, and he pointed out two things. He said, "What I have to do with tra- uh, with players is to make sure that they're never bored." You know, and 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 there's so many players that I've spoken to, past and present who have said that the training sessions at Villa are so refreshing. Dean Smith always finds a way to keep them motivated and keep them um, keep the sessions different. And that's you know that's that's a really tough job in itself, especially when you've been at a club for, for, for a long time because it can get stale and the same voice can start to grind on you and, and you have to find different ways to 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 make the players enthused and, and motivated and and Dean Smith seems to do that really well. I think what also helps is mixing up the coaching staff as well, which which Villa have done. So I think that's a really valid point, and I think I'm surprised it's not something that happens more across football mm. because you change your players, you've transferred players in and out to refresh your squad, make your squad better. You know why wouldn't you do that with your coaching staff? That's it. A, a fresh voice around the training ground sometimes really helps because they come in with different ideas, new vibrant ideas and the players like that the players need it you know if you're training four times a week you need to do different things you know like us you know we, we exercise at the gym don't we but if, if, if we go to the gym and not as, not as much as we should Greg but I mean I'm, I'm looking at myself if I go to the gym and I'd have to do the same routine every single day every time I go there it starts to get a bit boring doesn't it but I always find whenever I train with somebody else or if I have a personal trainer every now and then and, that, and they give me new exercises and, and different fun things to do, I come out of the gym feeling invigorated and feeling like, yeah, that was different. I'm looking forward to the next session. And it's no different with players. You know, they, they just they want to go to training, feel like they've learned something, but feel like they've enjoyed it as well. And I think that's what's happening at Villa at the moment. You know, Craig Shakespeare came in at the start of last season. He had new ideas. Now Aaron Danks and um, Austin McPhee are in there. They've got fresh new ideas as well. Yeah, and you were grumpy Greg last week about the set pieces. Or was it, was it the week before when you said, oh, I want to see it last done week, through a whole yeah. season? I'm, look, I'm still sticking Ana- by it. No, you can't. Yes. Another game won by a set piece routine. Look, I, I'm, not, I'm not knocking them. You, you, have to, you, have to, you have to listen to me what I'm saying here. Villa were excellent. I'm going to repeat myself. Villa were excellent at set pieces at the start of last season. Then it tailed off. Not like right? this. Not, not to this level. <laughs> Have a look at the figures. I'm going to have to compare the figures for you now because okay. I don't know the exact figures, but I'd love to see whether they've scored more goals from set pieces game on game. Perhaps they have, but it's not too far off. What I want to see is throughout the course of the season, if it continues, excellent. I'm not knocking Dean Smith. I'm not knocking Austin McPhee. I think Douglas Louise is taking wonderful corners. I like the way that Conza and Mings and Hawes even now are, um, are becoming more of a threat in the box. I'm loving, I'm loving watching it. I think it's really exciting. I'm not knocking it at all. I'm just saying, let's judge it at the end of the season. It's like saying Villa's results are fantastic at the moment and they're going to go and finish in the top four now. We can't say that until we know what happens no. at the end of the season. But what I'm saying is, they're working on stuff in the week. And yet again, they've worked on a routine during the week. And it's bad fruit. And they've won the game because yeah. of it. So but from they, that they point worked, of view, they worked, but they worked on a ma- they worked on a routine last last year to beat Chelsea uh, to beat Liverpool. I'm, not, I'm, I'm not, not convinced they were working on things like this. They worked on a routine to beat Liverpool seven two, didn't they? They they picked out weaknesses yeah, in Liverpool's game and they went and won it. So let's judge them over the course of the season. Mm, I think you've been purposely purposely evasive and stubborn, Greg. I tell you what, if they score a set piece at the weekend, I'll hold back and say. 
Austin McVeigh's an absolute genius. Dean Smith's oh, a genius. That's Douglas Louise's corners are fantastic. I love Tyrone Mings. He's completely changed his way. Might be a throw. Might be a long throw, Greg. What could be a long throw? Uh, that, that, okay, what I would say is, oh, here he is. As, as we can all see, that is the main difference. Oh, there we Villa, go. Villa never had a long throw before. They and Matt Cash has always had one, by the way. Um, so you know, it's only just been sort of unlocked. Um, that is very different and, and, and that has worked a few times hasn't it already so that is the one different thing which yeah is a very valid point okay we'll, we'll, we'll move on but yeah I'm looking forward to Villa scoring a set piece on Sunday and being able to come <laughs> back to this moment this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Matt Pizdrovsky, the Athletic's goalkeeping analyst. I mean, I did not know that the Athletic had a goalkeeping analyst. The background yeah, stuff has yeah, some changes yeah. in the Matt, athletic as well. Me, Matt's helped me out. He's been, he's, Matt's been he's around been there since the very ages, start. Yeah, yeah. He's in fact even before the UK project was up and running. I think he was doing bits. Um, very, very, very um, informative guy and great to have on the team as well. I've, I've worked with him on a couple of times and previous stories in previous uh, seasons. Yeah. Not many outlets have a goalkeeping expert, you know. This is the athletic Dan. What's it? What's his background? Just out of interest, and subscribers might like to know. You might not know the answer. He's a former goalkeeper. Is he um, right? That's what I was. At. Yeah. That's what I was getting at, really. <laughs> Do you know it's interesting, right? Because I tried. He he was a goalkeeping coach, or or, um, or part of the staff at Helsing's Helsingborg. Helsingborg in 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 um, Sweden, and I was trying to get an interview with Olaf Malberg, so I I spoke to him about about that, but. Um, no, he, he he couldn't he couldn't help me out on that occasion, unfortunately. So, still got a little bit of work to do, Matt. Yeah, I've got I've got Melbourne's number, but the only time I texted him, he aired me. So I've never been brave enough to <laughs> to go to go back to go back since and, and and ask him for the interview again. But yeah, we'll move on. But anyway, Matt's done a done a piece on Emmy Martinez and the mind games around around the penalty, Fernandez, Ronaldo. It was just a if it's happening against you, like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, you don't like it. But because it's a positive thing for Villa and it's resulted in a positive by Bruno blazing his penalty over the stadium, I'm all for it. I loved his Copper America antics and he's taken it up a notch, hasn't he? Yeah, I wrote a story before the Everton game basically saying don't don't expect much of a repeat of, of the Copper America between him, him and Yerry Mina. Um, I think what he does is, more than anything, he does it for himself. He, he, he doesn't do it to particularly be... A, see you next Tuesday. He does it because he wants to feel strong himself. That's part of his reasoning, I think. And I think it just builds him up. I think it's part of his... Um, it's just part of his like pre-penalty routine to, to try and feel confident in himself, I think. So it's really interesting. What he was, tra- what he was saying to Ronaldo in the, in, the, in the huddle was... I want you to take this penalty. I want to save the penalty from you. You take the penalty. And if you look at Ronaldo, he's kind of like a bit... Um, just bemused. He, he doesn't know what's going on. I think he's trying to stay cool, but 
he's he's almost. I mean, look, I, I don't know into into Ronaldo's mindset. You know, he's got a rock solid mindset, hasn't he? So I don't want to knock him too much because of what he's done in his career. But it looks like he didn't know how to react to Martinez when he was giving him that that talk. Um, and I think some of the United players had to, and, and the referee even had to had to kind of push him away at one point and and say, look, just get back on your lines. I think this penalty is about to be taken. Um, but yeah. Martinez was saying, I want you to take it, Ronaldo. I want to save from you. Um, and then, look, whether that played a part in, in Fernandez missing, I don't know. Um, he hasn't missed too many, has he? I think he missed against Newcastle. I remember him missing one against Paris Saint-Germain and having to retake it. And 21 score. out of 23 is his record now. Right, right. Yeah, Manchester so United. He's missed a couple. Um, but then they're that's including retaken. the Villa one, though. That's so the Villa's only yeah, the second so one he's missed. That's it. Yeah. yeah. So, he, so he, the, what, he missed. An, he missed one against Newcastle. I'm pretty sure. He missed one against Paris Saint Germain, but then retook it and scored. And he missed one against West Brom, but then retook it and scored. So he he has missed penalties, but his record speaks for itself. You know, an Ole Gunnar Solskjaer came came out after the game and said. You put your mortgage on on Bruno Ronaldo. Uh, Bruno Ronaldo. <laughs> That'd be a good play, wouldn't it? <laughs> Bruno Fernandez scoring the penalty. Uh, good, good job for Villa. He didn't because Emi has disrupted him. I, in my opinion, because I think he has, where, yeah. where was his where was his technique? His usual hop and skip. He, he just he felt like Fernandez rushed it, really rushed it. The whistle, the whistle kind of goes, and he's already he's already on his way before before the whistle goes. He, he really did get into his head. Yeah, look, he. he those men, they were unsettled. Ronaldo was unsettled, and I think Fernandez was as well. I was at the game with Laurie Whitwell, our Manchester United reporter, and and I and I said to him, I said, "There's no way, there's no way Fernandez can do the hop, skip, and jump against Martinez because he'll save it." Um, I said, "You know, do you, think you, rec- do you think that?" I said, I said it to him before the before before the penalty. I said, "There's no way he can do the hop, skip, and jump because he, Martinez will save it. He's brilliant at." He's brilliant at saving penalties. Yeah, he, he saved one on his debut, didn't he? <laughs> Against Sheffield United, his frame. He's a big guy. He's a big, big. I mean, I know most goalkeepers are big, but you know his frame. He's massive. His reach. He's incredible. Yeah, and, it, and it, it's it's he gets into players' heads as well with his with his trash talking. And he's a little bit like that. He's quite a cocky, arrogant person when he's on the football pitch because he knows how good he is. But when you are that good, you can be like that. It's great that Villa have got him. I was going to say, it's mad one that Arsenal were willing to sell him to us. Two, two that it's taken this long in his career to get to this level. He hasn't just become a good goalkeeper overnight, has he? No, look, and, and, and I've written many stories about this because um, it's just one of the most unbelievable things you know, in the last couple of seasons. One, that Arsenal let him go and that two, that Villa were able to get him um, for such a small fee, really. You know, in the grand scheme of things, that the fee was, was ridiculous. But... Um, People who are closely connected to Arsenal just say that they really believed in Leno at that point and they thought that he was going to develop into a real top-quality goalkeeper um, for years to come. And that, now he sits on the bench? Yeah, they, they just didn't see the passage for, for Martinez to get to become that first-team player, um, you know, that regular number one. And that's what Martinez wanted. He, he wasn't prepared to sit around for another season, having been at, having been at Arsenal for nine years. And look, it just shows how good he is really, doesn't it? Because he's gone on to perform so well for Villa, to win the Copa America. And look, he played a massive part in that. When you've got someone like Lionel Messi coming out saying how good you are, you know you're doing something well.
Right, Greg, some, some serious news now. A brief mention of this. It's an ongoing legal matter and a rather unpleasant one. The Athletic reported this week that a teenager from the northeast of England has been charged with racially abusing Villa player Tyreek Wright on social media. I mean, too much of this stuff around. Yes, I mean, for, for those who don't know who Tyreek Wright is, he's a, um, a young Villa player currently on loan at Salford. This happened when when he was at Warsaw last season, and you know it's a matter that's ongoing. But it's just something that we need to get rid of in football. Feel like youngsters in particular. You know, it's even it's even more worrying, isn't it, when we see youngsters uh, accused of these type of things, and it just it just leads back onto something that we said last week. Really, you know, these people need to be educated more. It's difficult for for us as as white, almost middle aged, you know, men now. Um, speaking about this when we probably haven't suffered um, racist or discriminating abuse you know, throughout our lives um, but yeah it just from, from speaking to people that have gone through these things you just feel like people need to be educated more to, ha- to help cut it out because it's just not on is it no because I'm, I'm, I'm reading it and I'm almost, almost immune to it now because like you say it's, it's so repetitive it does feel like it, it, it's every week something like this this has happened and I guess this shows why people like Ty- Tyrone Mings push so much to keep the taking the knee before Premier League games because because it is relevant and whilst people like Tyrone Mings want to do it and want to convey that message I'm fully behind it yeah, and I think what we're seeing now across fo- uh, football stadiums is much more of a support for the knee. That there were times where where supporters were booing it and um, you know questioning why it was why it was happening. The stadiums that I'm going to now, I'm hearing much more of an applause, and I think that's that's really warming. And certainly the players will like that too. Um, I, I wonder how long we go on taking the knee. You know, D- you know, Dean Smith was considering not taking the knee f- f- at the start of this season um, purely because he, he wasn't sure of, of, of what sort of impact it was still having but before he before he made up his mind he spoke to Tyrone Mings um, to ask him what he thought about it and, and, and it's my understanding that Mings' reaction was well we want to still continue taking the knee we want you to take it Dean Smith because you're our leader um, and, and, and if and, and, and that sends out a really strong message and, and I think what Mings was, was thinking was that you know if one child watching the football asks his, his, his mum or dad why the players are taking the knee and his mum or dad explains it to them and, and then that helps um, promote the message more and, and, and cuts out something you know cuts out just one person thinking of doing anything bad then it's worth it isn't it so um, you know, we, we, we've seen Marcus Alonso and, and 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 Wilfred Zaha not take the knee for reasons that that, that, that they've disclosed themselves, but um, it, it feels very unified amongst football at the moment. I won't get into the, the Alonso. I've done that on, on another podcast, but I, I can't understand what what he's trying to achieve by not taking the knee and, and, and standing there pointing at a badge at exactly the same time as everyone else is, is taking the knee because that doesn't show unity at all, and it's as if pointing to a anti-racism. Like logo on your on your shirt is this, is this big gesture compared to taking the knee, and it's not. But I said I wasn't going to go into it, and I did. You know, Tyreek's a young player trying to make his way in the game. He's represented Republic of Ireland at, at under twenties. You know, we wanted to push on and have a great career, hopefully with Aston Villa Football Club. But but young players, you know, if Tyrone Mings gets racially abused, for example, it's it's not for one second saying it's right, but he's probably better placed to deal with it. For a young player trying to make his way in the in in the game. To get something like that must be really, really difficult. 
Yeah, you know, it's just, it's just not right, is it? As, as I say, I, I'm a little bit uncomfortable going full into detail of, of what it must feel like because it's never happened to me. But until it happens to you and, and, you, and you experience it and you go through it, you don't know what it's like. I mean, as, as we mentioned with the, with the John McGinn stuff a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, it's just like us going to work and then somebody abusing us for, for, for the colour of our skin. I mean, it's just... It's just totally wrong um but yeah i I can't speak too much from the heart because i don't know what it's like i haven't experienced it and and until you do you don't know how you you don't know do you no i mean hopefully we'll have a podcast in the near future where where we're not talking about abuse because it does feel like it's happening to people every single week at the moment it's just it says a lot about society says a lot about the world that that we live in i just don't, don't get why people have to be this way at all Let's finish then on a brighter note with the top three and let's try and put that victory at Old Trafford into context. We're going to do Villa's top three away wins in the Premier League era here and a few floating around my mind. The first one I've had to put in there, a bit samey. Three. Beating Manchester United at Old Trafford in 2009 under Martin O'Neill with Gabriel Bonlahor scoring because that was the first time I'd seen Villa win at Old Trafford in my lifetime. It's got to be there, hasn't it? I said on Saturday, Tyrone Mings is only the third captain in my lifetime that I've seen win at Old Trafford in the league, which is crazy. No, sorry, beat Manchester United, not beat even win at Old Trafford. Yeah, beat yeah. Manchester United in the league in my lifetime. That's crazy. Who who's the other one? Was that the cup game? I, 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 this is league only. So ninety five, ninety six, they they beat they beat and they beat David Beckham's Manchester United when they were coming through with all the kids. Of course. And then the Old Trafford, and then and then Saturday, it's just crazy. It's amazing. I was speaking to a Man United reporter, that, um, sorry, a, a guy who covers Man United at Old Trafford, and, and I told him about the record. Um, but, but basically, I said to him, I said, oh, Villa haven't won here since 2009. It's, it's quite incredible, really. And he says, oh, that's nothing. You know, I'm used to writing about teams that haven't won here for 40 years. And I said, well, here's another one for you. Villa have won once in 45 games against Man United. That's a bit different, isn't it? And he was really taken back by that. So, yeah, I mean, we've spoken year after year, Dan, haven't we, before Man United games about uh, Villa's record. But hopefully this is the start of, of a record of their own. Yeah, come on, let's do the double over them. Home games <laughs> come. We had a chance to do the double over Manchester United. I don't think we've ever had ever had that chance as far as I can remember. So, yeah, a re- real big one. I'd love to beat them at Villa Park as well because I've got some really unpleasant memories of playing them as a, as a child growing up in, in tears as their fans spill onto the pitches. They score yet another injury time winner. <laughs> Next one I've gone for. Bit of an, a bit of an odd one. Two. Paul Lambert's days weren't filled with, with joy. Do you remember when they went to Anfield and won 3-1 and, and scored that really good team goal with the Benteco back heel and then Vyman swept it home? I do. Do you remember that one? That was, that, was a, yeah. that was a good away win. I mean, they did promptly follow it up and lose 8-0 at Stamford Bridge the next week. <laughs> but at that at that point, you kind of felt like you could see what Lambert was trying to do. And they just, <laughs> yeah. they, they just went to pieces. But that was a, a really good win at Anfield that I remember. Yeah, yeah. Decent. They had a time where um, I think they... Paul Lambert seemed to know exactly what to do when they played Liverpool. Yeah, they did. I think one of his secrets, actually, I'm not sure if he ever revealed it, but was to stick Andy Vyman on Gerrard, and it always seems to work. 
If it was a if it was a secret, you've you've revealed it now. Although I don't think he'll be managing at Anfield anytime soon, so I don't think we need to need to worry about it <laughs> yeah. too much. Or Gerrard will play him very often. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, that's that's probably a bit a, a bigger point, Greg. Yes, Devin Gerrard's now a, now a manager. If you're marking him now, you're going to be having problems marking <laughs> yeah. someone who's standing on the touchline. Yeah, that wouldn't be good at all. Last one I've gone for. One of my favourite away days that I've ever been at, so that's why I've put it in. I, I was going to put the Blues ones in there, but you know, let's stick to let's stick to the the so-called Big Six. I mean, Blues aren't even the, the Big Six in in the Championship, so let's stick to the Big Six in the Premier League, the so-called Big Six. Uh, Two thousand and eight, Arsenal nil, Aston Villa two, Galas own goal, I think it was, and then Gabby Abdullahor firing home. A really good away performance under Martin O'Neill. Again, it felt like Villa were really onto something at that point. Arsenal were a better team than they are now at, the, at that point, and it was just a, a great win at, at the Emirates. I feel like that's that, that was one of the best, of, if not the best, away game I've ever been to in terms of result. Was that 07, 08, or 08? 08, 09. Yeah, it was a good, it was a good season, wasn't it? It was the, the season bluey where Villa got so kit. close to the Champions League places, and then. Yeah, it was Russia, wasn't it? Or it was that it was that season. Yeah, it was that it, season. They, yeah, um, yeah. Well, look, look, a, a great season to be a Villa fan for for a long for a large part of it because they were so close. And if they would just had a little bit more staying power and and maybe signed another player in the January window, uh, was there a January window then? They signed Hesker, yeah. yeah. Yeah, if they'd have got a better striker, I think wasn't it? Then then they might have um, they might have gone on and and got that that top four place, but just tailed away at the end. As you know, as we know, we've written lots about it. There were a few others that came to my mind. They were the three that leaped out to me. I was going to go with Arsenal yeah, from last I mean, season, but fans weren't there, and it felt a bit recent. And Arsenal, yeah. Right. I mean, looking at these aren't these aren't specifically these are more standout games that that, that I've covered in, in recent years. I, there was there was a really good four 0 away win at Sunderland under Sherwood, I think, when when yeah. Murphy got his debut. Yeah, I remember the game. Villa were great that game. Three um, two at Wolves when Robbie Keane got a couple. That that was one that stands out for me, and and I, th- I, th- I think just in the promotion season, the Rotherham game was just so important. And such I did a go Premier League. Around. I did just go Premier League and top fair six. Enough, that was my that enough. was my issue. Yeah, but no, no, but enough. you're right. There's been some, some some great away games over over the years. Most of the times they have a good away day. I would say I'm not there. My away record is absolutely <laughs> abhorrent. So out of those ones that I just said, I'd only been to one of the, of those three wins. So that that tells you everything you need to know. But yeah, great stuff. Buzzing Greg, still really, really happy with Villa's win at Old Trafford. We haven't quite had time to preview the Spurs game, but just quickly, a good chance for three points again. Yeah, I've watched Spurs this season and I just haven't been impressed with them. I actually watched the North London derby um, and, and, and I thought that I thought that Villa could beat both of these those teams now, and and then I went. I was at Southampton versus Wolves as well, and I thought Same. that Villa would absolutely wipe the floor with both of those two teams. So the thing for me now is I'm watching games, watching other teams, and I watched Crystal Palace and Brighton on Monday, and I thought they, they beat them as well. <laughs> you know, and I'm I'm comparing Villa to all these teams in in the Premier League, and I'm thinking, wow, this could be a really really exciting season because. The way Villa are playing now, and they haven't quite hit full gear. I think they can just they can they can genuinely go and take on any team in the division now and give them a, at least a run for the money. Um, but I'm I'm confident that they can beat most of them now, and I actually think they'll go to Tottenham. And I, I think they'll win. I, I do. I, they did I, last I, season. Yeah, I, I do think they'll win. Um, and if they do, what an incredible sort of a 
run of 10 games they've had beating Tottenham, Chelsea, Man United, Everton and Tottenham again potentially. They're on to something here, I think. Yeah, I'm looking. I'll tell you what, I'm really looking forward to those 18 points that you've just spoke about. Villa wiping the floor with all those the six teams that, that you spoke about. <laughs> yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. 18 points more on the board. That's going to be really, really fantastic. So thanks ever so much for joining me, Greg. Way less grumpy than last week. Global Greg Evans, who everyone knows from The Athletic, travelling the length and breadth of the country. Of the West and the world And the world on occasions as well. But thanks, Greg. Hopefully you've enjoyed it too. I have done, yeah, it's been fun. Do you know what? I always see the the, the, the the telltale sign of whether I've enjoyed it is how quick it goes. And we seem to have been talking for five minutes, yeah, about 40 minutes past. Yeah, it's absolutely flowing by, to be fair. We'll be back next week. I think it's interna- bloody international break again, isn't it? Next week, but we'll still, we'll still have some content out there for you. We'll be back on 1874 next week. Thanks ever so much for tuning in and listening. Hopefully you've all enjoyed it at home or in your car or on the train, wherever you are as well. Stay safe and up the villa. Athletic.